Welcome to the Edge of the Wild podcast. Once you start this journey, there is no telling what may happen. There are no safe paths in this part of the world. Remember, you are over the edge of the wild now and in for all sorts of fun wherever you go. There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Maya Angelou Compelling stories draw their readers back again and again by awakening a deep-seated sense of longing for something other. The stories themselves, as good as they might be, do not ultimately inspire a longing or a yearning for their form or content, but for what they reveal or point to beyond the pages. This awakened desire is for something else, seemingly beyond the horizon or just around the next corner. In large or small ways, these immersive narratives enable readers to make meaning of their own lives, peace with their own story, and gain a clearer purpose for the journey ahead. It is my intent to explore the role of myth and symbolism in art illustrated in a single film as a means for mission amongst those yearning for more in life than they've yet known. Like most children, I was captivated by the power of stories at a young age. It was the excitement of entering a time and place different from my own, and the sense of adventure these stories afforded a young boy growing up in a single-parent home in a small Midwestern American town. Like a skylander lifted by the winds, our inspired imagination takes flight and can carry us anywhere. Inspiration elevated my imagination, leading me to write and bind a book around the age of 10. It was called The Dragon's Egg, replete with narrative, illustrations, and a cover aged by baking it in lemon juice and burning the edges with matches. In my experience, while any work of art can take on varying levels of significance for its consumers, The motivation for those creating it frequently fits within three generalized areas, or a combination of them, catharsis, commentary, and comfort. Art as a cathartic exercise is the practice of processing experiences which evoke responses for which we have no better resources to express than creativity. Art as commentary is the act of casting some event or aspect of life in a different light to challenge current views of it or to instigate new behaviors because of it. Art which comforts is art that illustrates the good life, that promise of a potential future encapsulating all of our highest hopes and best dreams. It's this final category which often inspires desire, yearning, and longing. These experiences of longing often arise within us when we encounter the true, the good, and the beautiful, and are emblematic of the restlessness in the human soul. Author and former Oxford Don C.S. Lewis 
grapples with this notion of unsatisfied desires in many of his writings. In his work, The Weight of Glory, he attempts to capture this persistent yet elusive niggling that we often sense. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. They are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Of the many forms of art that generate a sense of longing within us, Lewis primarily points to myth and symbolism as being nearly seamless in their ability to transmit underlying societal truths. Could myths and symbolism also be evidence of broader communal longings? It may be that the meaningfulness of certain myths is proved by those that persist through the ages. While various elements of myths may change as they're told by a myriad of storytellers, the core elements which persist could provide a glimpse of the existential hunger in our shared human existence. The Bloomsbury reader uh, in the study of myth states, studied alive myth, as we shall see, is not symbolic, but a direct expression of its subject matter. It is not an explanation in satisfaction of a scientific interest, but a narrative resurrection of a primeval reality told in satisfaction of deep religious wants, moral cravings, social submissions, assertions, even practical requirements. This could be taken to mean that the function of myth is to simply answer questions within the human psyche which science and reason cannot adequately explain. Suggesting myths are simple stories concocted to explain an aspect of human experience beyond our ability to ascertain with reason and intellect. What if myths are echoes of a reality we've forgotten or are unwilling to entertain as actually true? Pervasive and persistent myths and symbols may be metaphorical bread and crumbs on the wooded trail leading humanity to a home long forgotten. One such myth is that of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. It's a myth of a warring king or chieftain in post-Roman Britain almost 1500 years ago who fought for freedom against the invading Anglo-Saxons. While numerous writers have written about and expanded upon our theory or legend, no single person known as King Arthur has been identified in the historical record. However, it has not lessened the significance of this particularly compelling myth. The tenacity of the legend of King Arthur invites us to look beyond the myriad versions of his story, to tap into deeper themes which nourish 
and satiate our need to make meaning of our existence. Adventure, camaraderie, justice, peace, purpose, and calling are ubiquitous throughout many of the retellings of this uniquely British narrative. The image or symbol which sums up Arthur's legend may be the sword in the stone, or at other times the sword Excalibur in the hand of the Lady of the Lake. It's upon this motif that the entirety of the story hangs. For whomever is able to draw a sword from stone is proved the rightful king of the peoples. If that doesn't speak of destiny, calling, and purpose, nothing does. In 2017, King Arthur Legend of the Sword, directed by Guy Ritchie, was released. Ritchie took this film in a direction quite different from many other versions of the story. Aside from some, from some small deviations in plot, he, plot spoilers ahead, had Arthur as being raised by prostitutes in London, facing nightmares from a past he couldn't understand, receiving secondhand assistance via one of Merlin's associates, and ultimately pushing back against a calling he didn't see coming. Additionally, Richie employed his characteristic plot twists and chess-like reverse engineering of the storyline that other directors would likely pass over. Finally, his choice of soundtrack and style of cinematography made this film all his own. I've chosen this film to explore the myth and symbolism, not only because of the endurance of the, of the Arthurian legend, but because of Guy Ritchie's retelling of it. One of the more persuasive elements of the plot was Arthur's personal journey as he faced his past to embracing his calling, especially amidst extreme difficulty and loss. Due to its dual-pronged format, this film speaks powerfully to us today, helping us extract meaning from its mythos and purpose through Arthur's pathos. Setting the broader mythos aside, I'd like to lean into Arthur's journey of transformation, breaking his path to becoming king into eight key moments, but detailing only a few. The first of these moments is called something I refer to as the wound, when Arthur received cuts on both hands during a battle between his father and uncle that would symbolize the soul wound that forged Arthur into the king he would become. The nightmares. While learning to fend for himself and working and work the system for personal gain, Arthur relives the moment his mother and father were murdered by a dark creature in persistent, nagging, fragmented nightmares. The sword from stone. This moment changes everything. Arthur grips the sword and realizing that something strange is happening, is overcome by the power of Excalibur and captured by Vortigern's forces. The guide. Friends loyal to Arthur's father, Uther, come out of the woodwork, led by a mage who was sent by the leader of the mages, Merlin, to help this would-be king overcome his personal hurts and hang-ups. The test. 
The mage leads Arthur to a mythical place called the Darklands, where he fights for his life against all kinds of monsters with only Excalibur, and more importantly, faces his darkest fears. Arthur survives, barely, finally piecing together lost fragments of his own parents' demise. The practice round. Here, the legend begins to materialize. Following an attempt on King Vortigern's life by Arthur and his friends, after which they run for safety but are trapped, then fight for their lives. In a moment of desperation, Arthur sees the mage's life is in danger, gripping Excalibur with two hands and entering fully into the power the sword affords him while dispatching every last enemy. The turn, return. Arthur attempts to be rid of Excalibur and thus his destiny by throwing it into a lake, but falling on his knees in a puddle of mud, he meets the Lady of the Lake who charges him to take the sword and challenge his uncle's oppressive reign. The battle. It all leads up to this. As they battle, Arthur faces Vortigern in his dark, demonic form and staggers, flashing back to his father fighting the same battle. However, in this vision, Arthur doesn't look away as his mother and father are in mortal danger, but instead hears his father say, The sword is yours. Take it. Arthur rises to face his nemesis one last time, defeating Vortigern. begin to note the resonance between Arthur's journey to fulfill his destiny and our journey to fulfill our own in the wound. Psychologist Dr. Dan Allender believes there is a wound which comes at some point early on in our personal lives where everything that is good is shattered. He calls this the breaking of shalom. Each of us was designed for Eden, living in perfect relationship, a state of shalom with ourselves, each other, and God. But now, shalom has been shattered, and we are separated from Eden, living in a world marred by brokenness, disconnection, and trauma. Arthur experiences this shattering as a young boy powerless to save either of his parents from certain doom, which haunts him in nightmares throughout the film. Before advancing into his destiny as king, Arthur must first go backwards into his past to face the moment where Shalom was shattered, accepting his loss and powerlessness to change it. The test comes during a sojourn into the Darklands, where Arthur relives every moment of his parents' death in vivid detail. It's only in acceptance, making peace with the pain, that he is able to advance, face the demonic creature, and mature into the calling he's been given, 
to protect the people of his kingdom and establish justice in the land. This sequence of events calls to mind a phrase attributed to author and professor Joseph Campbell, epitomizing how necessary it is that Arthur follow his pain. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Identifying the source of our pain and woundedness allows it to be brought into the light, creating greater opportunities for healing and wholeness as we lean on the expert care of others. The final sequence of the film I'd like to highlight is the turn return. In it, Arthur is now aware of his woundedness, but it is, but is learning to make peace with it as well as the expectations of others regarding his destiny, which he is yet to accept and enter into. He reacts violently to the weight of the calling, throwing Excalibur into the lake to be rid of the burden of it. However, Arthur doesn't get far when he's arrested by the Lady of the Lake, who tells him to accept the sword and fulfill his calling, or others will suffer unbearable hardships. It's here, via compassion, to suffer with for others in circumstances not unlike his own, that Arthur finally welcomes his destiny to become king, restore justice, and bring peace to the land. There are deep, meaningful truths ensconced in the myth and symbolism presented in this film. They are extremely helpful in building a bridge from the experience of the characters in the film to the experience of those watching, offering a new vocabulary to better describe, understand, and process their own stories. These are useful starting points in conversation with those who sense there's more in life, more to unpack, more to let go of, more to understand, and more to experience of the life Jesus offers. Employing elements of myth and symbolism in popular culture that echo the reality of God's nature, activity, and the life he's called us to is not a new pursuit. St. Paul expertly demonstrated this kind of approach on Mars Hill at the Areopagus in Athens, Greece, as detailed in Acts chapter 17. The scripture tells us that while Paul was walking around the city of Athens, he paid attention to everything around him, discerning traces of the inbuilt desire for God that he created within each human being. Paul was invited to share with those in the city who gathered to exchange and discuss ideas. And when he spoke, he began by referencing poetry, philosophy, and statues that those who lived in Athens were familiar with. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Paul chose to highlight a statue that many, if not all, would have been familiar with in their Hedgerbet's efforts to honor a God they may have overlooked, but didn't want to offend. Paul starts with something known, expounding on it, then pointing the Athenians and those visiting 
to someone they didn't yet know well, stating, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Unsurprisingly, myths and symbolism embedded in culture can serve as witness to the truth that we are made for relationship with our Father, whose love couldn't leave us under the burden of our mess. So his Son arrived to rescue, redeem, and send the Holy Spirit who leads, affirms, and empowers those who believe. The legend and myth of King Arthur, especially as seen in Ritchie's portrayal, points to a king who will arise to set right all that's wrong in the world, to punish those who have exploited others, to lift up the downtrodden and oppressed, and to restore goodness and peace to a weary kingdom. A brief study of the scriptures reveals that the promised Messiah would accomplish all of this, and so in the fullness of time he inaugurated his mission. However, for those who have yet to believe, myths and symbols from cultures around the world can be telltale hints that our world is not as it once was, or as it should be, nor yet as it one day will be, when the king of all creation arrives to fulfill his destiny to make all things new. Until then, our longing persists. I hope this episode of the Edge of the Wild podcast challenged and inspired you. For more information on this episode, please see our show notes. If you'd like to know more about our sponsoring organization, Soul Friend, and its related services and events, please visit artistsoulfriend.com. My name is Shane Tucker, and the best is yet to come. The quote in the podcast intro is from J.R.R. Tolkien's renowned work, The Hobbit, or There and Back Again, published in 1937.